Welcome to New Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Yesterday morning in my prayer time, the Lord spoke to me. I've never preached this before, but I know tonight the Lord wants us to look at this. Verse 1. For, Vi- for Zion's sake, not Vion's sake, for Zion's sake, it's that drunkenness, I tell you. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nation shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. And give God no rest until He establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by His right hand and by His mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have laboured. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Speaking of unrestricted intimacy with the presence of God. Verse 10, go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him and they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Wow, wow, wow. What a powerful passage of Scripture. Tonight I want to speak to you about being called to the wall. The call to the wall. I believe the Spirit of God is calling us as a church very clearly. We're hearing the same message over and over again from different angles and in different ways. But He is calling us to the wall. What am I talking about? Well, uh, back in the year 2000, I was a member of the Victorian Police Force and one of my first responsibilities when I worked at City Patrol Group out of the academy was to uh, go to the protests at the G20 Summit. The World Economic Forum was happening at the Crown Towers in Melbourne and 20,000 protesters showed up and initially only 200 police were on the line, the thin blue line. It eventually called over a thousand police to come. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that there were aspects of what they were protesting that were justified. But being on the police line and seeing fishing lines with hooks on the end of it go into the police line and, and hook into people's cheeks and into their body parts and then rip out, you generally have a different perspective on things like what I saw back in the year 2000. And I remember the sergeant who was looking after us at that time kept yelling out, hold the line, hold the line. And what ended up happening is that the police were not able to hold the line and the protesters actually shut down these uh, series of meetings that took place in Melbourne. And a lot of people, unfortunately, was hurt through it. I really believe that Jesus is calling His church right now uh, in this hour to hold the line of intercession to hold the line of prayer. You and I are being called to the wall of prayer in this time. And it's really interesting in the Garden of Gethsemane, in in Jesus' probably most vulnerable moment before He is about to be taken, arrested 
and crucified, flogged and crucified on a cross. What did he do? He called three of his chosen closest allies and friends, the three amigos, Peter, James and John. He called them to come and he said to them, would you stand with me and would you watch with me in prayer lest temptation overtake you? And the Bible tells us that when temptation came because they fell asleep on the watch, because they fell asleep at the hour of prayer, they did not hold the line. And when temptation came, we see in the life of the Apostle Peter that Peter actually went and cut off some dude's ear and totally misunderstood the heart of God for dealing with your enemies. You see, when you don't hold the line, when you step back and retreat back from the wall of intercession, you end up fighting battles that God never called you to fight. He then goes and denies Christ in front of Christ and in front of all these people, particularly even to a little girl that was calling him out. And so no matter how many times Peter would say to Jesus, I'll never leave you, Jesus. I'll never deny you, Jesus. He meant that in his heart or so he thought. He had zeal in his heart. But if you don't stay on the wall of intercession, when temptation comes, zeal won't sustain you. Only love will sustain you. That's why Jesus, hello somebody, what I just said could change your life. Because you might be zealous for the Lord, but your zeal might run out. Your energy might run out. Your passion might run out. But that is why Jesus comes to Peter and He says, Peter, do you love me? Three times. You deny me three times. Now, I'm asking you, do you love me? Because what started in zeal has got to transfer and translate to love. Then we read that Peter because he didn't stay on the wall of intercession and prayer in that moment of temptation, ended up returning to a former lifestyle. He returned to fishing. When you and I don't stay on that wall of prayer and intercession, we get out of position from what God has called us to be in position for. And if you are out of position Tonight in your life, because of temptation, distraction, all sorts of pressures of life, you need to get back to the wall. You need to get back to that place of prayer and intercession. Why is that? Because we as a church, we as believers are God's sign and wonder to the world that Jesus is King. It's really interesting in this passage of Scripture in verse 2 that what God did for Zion was for the whole world to see. Yeah. Do you understand that God loves to show off? Yeah. And He's the only one who can legitimately do it through His people because He's God and yet be totally perfect and totally humble and totally holy and not be any, have any unholy motivation in showing up. I say to people, you've got to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit show off in your life. God, what God was doing in Zion, He wanted the whole world to see as God's chosen people and representatives. The Bible says, nations shall see your righteousness. Kings shall see your glory. And you need to understand that as God's representatives in the earth, not just Israel, but as the church, we as the offspring of Abraham are supposed to be the crown of beauty that the world looks at and marvels at. And what Isaiah does, he uses the metaphor of marriage to illustrate the intimacy between Zion and God. Yeah. It's a picture of the church and Jesus. Have you noticed as a married couple ages, they tend to take on some of the similar characteristics of each other. It's a little bit scary. And you're still your unique person and you still got your quirks and, and, and your personality, but you watch people as they age together in a, in a positive sense, in a beautiful way, and sometimes in a negative sense, you can take on the characteristics of the person that you're married to and that you're in love with. And that's a 
a good thing because you become one flesh, you become one spirit. And although you are unique in your own right, you do tend to take on over time some of those characteristics. Well, in the same way, the church is supposed to be intimately married to Jesus. And so because we are married to Him in this posture of intimacy, we are supposed to look more like Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, you are the light of the world. He did not say you are the light of the church. He said you're the light of the world. Light shines best in dark places. When it's dark in your room, you switch on the light. There's no competition. There's enough light in here to to light up Melbourne. But the light cannot, we cannot just shine brightly in here at revival service. That's, it's it's a good starting point, but actually we've got to take our light to the world in dark places. A powerless church presents to the world an inferior view of who God is. I remember the story of David Hall talking about praying for someone and it was sort of like, you know, uh, a quick 7-Eleven takeaway prayer walked off and the person that he prayed for says, was that it? And he turned around and said, oh no, I was just warming up. And he went back for a double dip, right? And she got miraculously uh, moved, healed and encountered God. You and I owe the world an encounter with Jesus. We owe the world an encounter with God. And so when people encounter you, do you receive, do they receive of your personal experience with God? Because at the end of the day, all you and I can pass on is our history with God, is our experience of God. That's all you and I, what what is ministry? Every one of you called to ministry. Ministry is passing on your history with God. It's passing on. So if there's little history, if there's little in the well, what are you going to pull out of the well to pass on to people? That's why you need to spend hours in the presence of Jesus. 10 minutes of of cutie pie prayer isn't probably going to come against Lucifer when he comes against you. I I just, I I need to speak truth to you. All right. You're going to need to actually get in the presence of God. You're going to need to get a worship life. You're going to need to get a word life. You're going to need to get a speaking in tongues life. You're going to need to get a a fasting life. You're going to need to get a faith-filled confession in your mouth. You're going to need to actually immerse yourself in the presence of God if you're going to walk in victory over every agenda of the enemy. Encounter always flows out of personal experience. There's a big difference between proclaiming principles and imparting presence. If you are living a leadership-centric principle Christianity, it's dead in the water. I'm not bagging out leadership. I'm not bagging out principles. There are principles in Proverbs. But if that is all it is, you've got the form, but you're denying the power of what truly is can only come through the impartation of the presence of God through intimate relationship with the heart of God. It is one thing to know the principle. Lots of people read books and know principles. It's another thing to carry firepower in your spirit to break you yokes and bondages of people's lives. The only way you're going to grow in that is if there is an impartation of the presence of God in you to be able to impart into other people's lives. And let me tell you, although people in the flesh may not know the difference, the supernatural realm always recognises the difference. How do we know that? Because in Acts chapter 19, when the seven sons of Sceva decided to use the name of Jesus to cast out a devil in a person, the demon spoke back through the man and said, Jesus, I know, Paul, I recognise, but who the flip are you? The demon knew who had authority and who didn't. The demon, the angels and demons understand authority. They understand presence. 
They understand power in the name of Jesus. And so the seven sons of Sceva were using principle, but they had no power. Principle doesn't change people's lives. Presence does. Presence will always triumph over principles. And so if you and I are going to be a sign and a wonder to the world of who King Jesus is, the presence of God in us needs to move through signs and wonders. And we've got to contend for everything that is available and everything that's accessible in the Kingdom of God. Jesus said, even greater works than these will you do. He did not say even greater principles than these will you know. Our knowledge of the intimacy of the heart of God will translate into the supernatural signs and wonders, the works of the Kingdom of God in people's lives. And when they see it, they'll say, who is this King Jesus? You see, like Israel, Christ has intended His church to be a praise in the earth. How, Isaiah, Is Israel, is the church going to be a praise in the earth? I'll tell you how. We are to give God no rest until we see His promises fulfilled. What an awesome invitation. The Bible says in verse 6, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen, says the Lord, all the day and all the night. What's that? 24-7. So it's talking about the restoration of the tabernacle of David, 24-7 prayer and worship for 40 years in the tabernacle of David. The prophet Isaiah is forecasting, prophesying, declaring by the Spirit of God that 24-7 watchmen will be on the wall interceding. They shall never be silent. And he, he says, you who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give Him no rest until He establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. What a watchman. Watchmen are prophetic guardians. They are intercessors. They are prayerful ones. They are prayer warriors who like sentries on a wall, pray and watch for the fulfilment of God's promises in cities, in nations, in churches, and in people's lives. You need to know something. There is a battle for the promises of God in your life. Yes, all the promises of God are yes and amen. But the enemy wages a war against the promises coming to pass and being fulfilled in your life. That's why uh, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, wage a good warfare. Prophecy and prophetic intercession wages a war against the war that's coming against you so that you can actually begin to see the fulfilment of those prophecies and promises in your life. How do you wage a war over the promises and prophecies previously made to you? You get on the wall of intercession and you give Him no rest until He establishes that promise in your life and until He establishes you and I, His church as a praise in the earth. In Daniel chapter 10, we read where Daniel prays and fasts 21 days. He wars in the Spirit over the promises over Israel at the end of 70 years of exile. Israel will be delivered and set free from their captors. And he prays and he fasts. And the angel Gabriel shows up and says, from the day you started praying, the the prayer was heard in the heavenlies, but I was delayed because I was at war wrestling the Prince of Persia. But Michael came to help me and now we are here. The Word of the Lord is coming to you. What was Daniel doing? In order to conquer and overcome, he had to pray and fast. What would have happened if he prayed and fast only at today nine or today 10? But the Bible says for three weeks, he ate no delicacies. He he didn't uh, drink any strong drink or wine. He actually postured himself in a place of prayer and fasting. Faith-filled prayer and fasting is the only way to obtain the fullness of the potential of God's promises and move the angelic realm on your behalf. 
What does the Bible say in 1 Thessalonians 5.16? It says, pray without ceasing. You say, how do I go to my job? How do I live my life? How do I look after my kids and all their responsibilities at school and sport? How do I do, how do I pray without ceasing? It's called a lifestyle of intercession. A lifestyle of intimacy. It's where you cultivate God consciousness every moment of every day. When you're walking from your car in the car park into your building to go to your office. Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I'm feeling tired. I need your strength today. God, I don't want to be a bad example, a bad representation of you today. Lord, I'm a little bit irritable. I was annoyed at what I happened and I heard and da-da-da. You go to your work, you do what you do. You're in a meeting and the, everyone's in the meeting and you can feel the tension in the room because the, 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 the issue, the problem is not being resolved. Just in your spirit, you just say, thank you, God, for the solution right now. It's coming. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to actually open heaven in this room. And you might not say this out loud, but it's in your spirit. It's in your heart. It's in your mind. It's a God consciousness. It's a lifestyle of intercession. Praying without ceasing is not just lock yourself away for 24-7 and pray. Although, although I'm going to speak about towards the end, some of us need to lock ourselves away and we need to show up for four hours of prayer and when we open up Tuesday to Friday and we need to actually get on the 24-7 prayer roster with Pastor Aaron, our global prayer pastor. Just raise your hand, love. This one right here. I would love if all 500 of you would inundate her at the end of this service and say, put me on the 24-7 prayer roster, one hour a week, two hours a week, whatever it is, right? But praying without ceasing is more than just your devotional time. Praise God for your devotional time. But praying without ceasing is a God consciousness. It's a lifestyle of intimacy. It's a lifestyle. I'm in constant dialogue with the Holy Spirit. And it's no burden. It's easy because His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He's a person. He's a friend. He's my God. He's my Father. And so I can speak to Him through the person of the Holy Spirit. And I ask, Holy Spirit, speak to me right now. What do you want to do in this service? I haven't got any great ideas. What's your idea? What do you want to do? I'm tired today, Lord. They're expecting this at this conference. God, where do you want me to begin? And all I do is I just follow the Holy Spirit. Is this helping anyone tonight? You know, before the Brownsville revival, Pensacola, Mike Kilpatrick, the pastor of that church, prayed for seven years, mobilised his church for two and a half years of intensive intercession before on Father's Day in 1995, as Steve Hill, the evangelist, preached. It was an ordinary sermon in Mike's book says, but a thousand people hit the altar and it didn't stop for years. 1.5 million people in 21 months came to that church and many hundreds, thousands got saved and gave their heart to Jesus. But do you know who was faithfully praying and interceding for seven years? One man. He would go to the altar and the platform late at night and he would actually fall asleep at the altar praying that God would break out in revival in that church. C.L. Greenwood prayed in his house, organised prayer meetings multiple nights of the week for nine years before Sunshine Revival ever became something we read about in the history books. For years, God's asked me to get up at 5am and seek Him in prayer. Little did I know it wasn't about me. It was about what God wanted to do here. Somebody's got to go to the wall. Somebody's got to actually begin to be a watchman on the wall. And and, and it's not just those who are gifted intercessors or those who are gifted prophets or prophetesses. It's every single believer in Jesus. What does Isaiah say? Give God no rest until He establishes Jerusalem. And makes it a praise in the earth. Think about Jacob wrestling with God in the middle of the night. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I'm praying for all of our talk about a Joshua generation. I am actually believing that what God is doing prophetically right now is a Jacob generation. 
where a Jacob generation would rise up and lay hold of the presence of God and say, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And even when you bless me, I'll keep holding on. Hang, I'll keep holding on and I will not let go. You got to get a relentless spirit about you, seriously. There is, if you're going to be a believer, you need some persistence about you. You need some perseverance. You can't be an intercessor. You can't be a believer in this day and age and not have perseverance and not be relentless and not be persistent. There's too many believers are weak. They have no resilience. They, 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 don't, they, they blow over when something comes against them or their way. No, you are a son and daughter of the Most High God. The Bible says in Daniel, 11, those who know their God shall be strong and do mighty exploits. You're not strong and do mighty exploits because you look good or because of what family you come from. You are strong and do mighty exploits because you know your God. You got to go to the wall. We got to go to the wall. You got to wrestle with God until you get the promise. If you're tired of starting over, stop quitting. That's a word for someone in this room tonight. If you're tired of starting over, stop quitting. I started the Bible 365 days. Every day I started at Genesis 1, but oh, it's too difficult, I just quit. Stop quitting. Read past Genesis 1. Read past the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. Oh, it's difficult. Leviticus is difficult. We'll flip over it and go to the next one. God knows where you're at. He'll meet you where you're at. I read Leviticus sometimes. It's like, where's the fork? Put it in the eye. Oh, I'm with you. But I don't throw the Bible out and say, it's just too difficult. No, I, I, I go on to the next one, the next book. And I sit there and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me today? I say, God, where, where, where am I right now in my relationship to you? Yesterday, I'm in my prayer chair. He says, Psalm 63. I spent the next hour sobbing over Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst after you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Every burden, every disappointment, everything began to live. God began to speak to me out of it. And then I'm like, Lord, what do you want to say to your people tomorrow night? Isaiah 62. What does Isaiah 62 say? Look at it. Wow, call to the wall. That's how life in the kingdom works. You hold on and you hold on and you hold on and you hold on until the promise comes to pass. And we've got to get rid of every obstacle that would hinder ours and others' pursuit of Jesus. What does the prophet say in verse 10? He says, build up, build up, prepare the highway, remove the stones. Remove the obstacles. Every single one of us, me included, has something that could derail our full abandonment to God. Every single one of us. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how close to Jesus you feel right now. Doesn't matter how holy you may think you are. Every single one of us has something that if the Holy Spirit just put His finger on, it would reveal what our default could be. And the pressures of life and the testing of life always reveals what our default is. Because what often happens is when we're under pressure, we're under stress and we're being tested, we revert back to that thing, that shadow self, that fleshly expression, that work of the flesh that allows us to have a temporary sinful outlet. And then you justify it as I'm under pressure and I'm under, under stress. That's why I'm angry and I've just ruined a relationship. What well, a song of Solomon saying, chapter 2, verse 15, catch the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards for our vineyards are in blossom. I want to tell you right now, the vineyards of Numa is currently in blossom. We're in a season of fruitfulness. We're in a season of the river of God. And by the way, it's not a season, it's our new address. It's where we live. 
the river of God. But you need to ask yourself and we need to ask as a church and I've been asking on behalf of you, what are the potential foxes that could spoil the blossoming of the vineyard in my life and in the church? I tell you what one of those uh, foxes are is distractions. I believe one of the greatest challenges for a modern believer is simply distractions. There are so many voices there are so many demands. There are so many competing noises and bips and this and that on your tech devices. Let me tell you, if you are going to give God no rest, you've got to give your tech device rest. Switch it off. Turn off Netflix. Turn off your computer. Switch off your phone. And just, and some of you, some of you, Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, that one, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, tear it out. It's not literally saying, I knew a guy once came to church with half of his eye all bloodshot. And I said, what's happened to your eye? He said, oh, I was just doing what Jesus said. Uh, If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. I said, sir, that's not what he meant. You don't need to do that. We prayed for him. It was an unfortunate situation. When Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He's not literally saying to start cutting off body parts. He's talking about the spiritual issue that is represented. So how many of us know you can gouge out your eyes, cut off your hands, but you can still fantasise in your brain. It's okay if I preach truth. Right? So he's not saying to cut things up. Thank you, Jesus. He's saying, what is that spiritual thing in your life? That, that if, if this conversation plus this tech device leads to this sin, you've got to cut that conversation off, cut that music song off and actually smash that tech device for a season until you break your cycle of sin. Oh, I wish somebody would actually come into agreement with that. Seriously. If going to this place and having that conversation and doing this results in that sinful lifestyle, stop going to that place. You cut it off. You don't go there. You don't justify it. Or maybe I could just go and witness to my friends in the nightclub where they're all half naked and it'll all be okay. I say to people, if you can't influence your unsafe friends for Jesus more than they influence you, you actually need some distance for a season until you are strong enough, pray for them, honour them, love them. And then when you're strong enough, reach out and say, hey, would you be up for a catch-up or a latte? And now from that vantage point of strength, begin to influence and speak into their life. But if you are in an environment where you keep falling into a cycle of sin, keep getting distracted, you've got to cut the distraction off. It includes your tech devices. I was talking to my kids, I did a a study at school and some kids in year 11 and year 12 uh, have have 18 hours of screen time a day. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm like, is any schoolwork being done? The answer is no. You'd be surprised if you look at how much screen time you do. And so you're there, Thank you, Jesus. Ping. Oh, hello. That's my friend. Oh, it's awesome. And 15, 20 minutes ago, thank you, Jesus. Ping. Oh, that's that's, that's all. Turn your notifications off. No, seriously. Jesus is practical. Discipleship is practical. It's not just, oh, I see unicorns and chariots and horses and flames of fire and it's all. No, sometimes it's practical. Sometimes you need to actually go, you know what? I I am not going to sleep in today. I'm going to get up and I'm going to disciple this flesh. I'm not going to buffet my flesh. I'm going to buffet my flesh. And I'm actually going to go... And I'm going to actually go and exercise, spend time with Jesus. Actually, you know, young men of God, have a shower, look after yourself, do some practical things. This is Christianity 101. 
We're teaching you how to live a supernatural life. It's not all just what I feel in the spirit. No, it's, it's cut off distractions. For most of us, if you deal with that little fox, your whole life will just exponentially increase. What's another little fox? Familiarity with the presence of God. Familiarity breeds contempt. When you and I lose awe of God's presence, we lose hunger. What's the same message that's been coming through over and over again? That message has been to ask for rain in the season of rain, to stay hungry, to stay on the wall. We've got to be careful that we don't become overly familiar with what God is doing in this hour. Because I tell you, we're only nine weeks in. What's going to happen in another nine weeks? What's going to happen in another nine months? What's it going to look like in another nine years? It's going to be awesome. It'll only be awesome is if you kill the little fox. Kill it. (laughs) I'm not into hunting, but knock yourself out. What's the third thing? What's the third little fox? The fear of man. Some of us are more afraid of people's opinions of us than God's call upon our life. We're more afraid of how it's going to look to someone than we are of them spending all eternity in relationship with Jesus. The fear of man will stop you. It's a fox. It'll creep up on you. You think you've dealt with it and it'll be there and it'll stop you from jumping out, Peter, out of the boat and having the greatest story with your mates that you'll ever have. I walked on top of the water. Another little fox is self-reliance. I love what um, Prophet Steve McCracken this afternoon with our kingdom partners, he said, there's either self-reliance or God dependence, not both end. It's either or, right? And self-reliance manifests in control. People who pride themselves on being self-sufficient are actually control freaks. Let's go. Serious. At Newman Church, we are not building a culture of control. I'm not interested in controlling you. I don't have time for it. Seriously. God doesn't, is not trying to control you. He doesn't want someone that serves him out of duty. Doesn't treat you like a puppet. He calls you into intimacy. He calls you into friendship. You're not, for all of our talk about servanthood in the church, Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, but I've called you friends. Servants don't know what their master is doing, but you know what I'm doing because you're my friend. You're a son and a daughter. So if if everything has to be in control, you won't touch the supernatural. You won't move in the authority of the power of the kingdom of God. Because His ways aren't your ways and His thoughts aren't your thoughts. He has a habit of messing up your plans. Have you discovered that? But his plans are glorious. I call these services glorious chaos. And I love it. And the more we get into it, the more I love it, the more I can see the fingerprints of heaven all over it. Because it's just like God to interrupt the program, the, 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 the idea of how it's to look. And that's why we always come with a posture of God. What are you doing now? Where are you moving? What do you want to do? Let's go with it. And that makes gatherings and coming together exciting, dynamic, adventurous, because it's not just a two song sandwich and just, a, you know, a discounted uh, tithing experience with God and, 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 and you know, a, a mid-service pick-me-up communion message. And, and it's not, to, it's, Lord, where are you going today? Today you're going, you're going to heal people of depression and insomnia. Another day, you're, you're going to do this over here in somebody else's life. Another day, we're going to prophesy over people about their destiny and their calling. Another day, we're just going to stand in awe and worship you with everything within us 
Another day, like tonight, we're going to teach people and shape their thinking about how we can actually be called to the wall and sustain that so that we can be your praise in the earth. And Isaiah goes on and says, our holiness to God will be known as a holy people will actually determine whether or not we are sought out or not. Our holiness, our set-apartness to God will determine whether the church is sought out or not sought out. Now, the distinguishing mark of God is His holiness. What do the angels around the throne continually sing? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Whenever the Bible repeats a phrase, it means this is important. You have to pay attention to it. Holy, holy, holy. So the distinguishing mark of the nature of God is His holiness. And as God's representatives in the earth, what sets us apart is not just power, it's that we reflect His nature. Holiness. Now, when we talk about holiness, we see it often through the filter of the character of God, the fruits of the Spirit, the sanctification work of the Spirit of God in your life. That is true, correct, and that's one aspect. But the other aspect of holiness is to be set apart. To be holy is to be set apart. It's speaking of your devotion to God from a place of love, not from a place of religious works and not from a place of duty. So I want to ask you this question. How set apart are you to God? Because what God has set you apart for, you've got to set yourself apart to. I tell people, okay, you're called to the ministry. Well, have you set yourself apart to that? Well, I'm just waiting until I make enough money in the business world and uh, then I'll go to Bible college and then I'll do this. Okay, the Lord has called you to be set apart, but you're not setting yourself apart. No, seriously, this is real talk. This is what it means. There was a time in my life where the Lord said, you've been running away, doing a Jonah, turn back, leave that job and go do this. Others of you, need to set yourself apart when it comes to how you conduct yourself in relationships. Where you, you, you entertain certain relationships because of the benefits that it gives you and the sense of affirmation, etc. But the influence of that relationship is not healthy. God has called you to be holy. He's called you to be set apart. It's not dishonour to somebody that once you are super close with to actually honour God with your mind, your body and spirit to set yourself apart for a period of time until you grow strong enough to be able to speak back into their life. And some of those relationships are built on faulty foundations. They're built on ideas of the flesh. Uh, uh, ideas that are worldly, that, that, that unless you gossip like they do and unless you do the things that they do, they do, that relationship wouldn't exist. Am I preaching the truth or what tonight? Because there are some relationships people have in their life that only as you do what they do, they'll accept you into their family. Church should be and is one of the few places on earth where You don't believe first before you belong. You actually belong and on the journey you start to believe. And the things that you used to struggle with and wrestle with, you don't want to do anymore because you've you've had an encounter with Jesus. There are things I don't want to do anymore. And and, and it's not like, you know, I've been a dirty, rotten, heathen scoundrel and done all these terrible things and murdered people and all this stuff. It's not, but there are things even in an unsanctified way that it's like, I don't have an appetite for that anymore. I I don't want to, I'm guarding my tongue and my mouth about others more than ever before. Why? Because I want to host His presence. I can't be on the altar one minute believing 
for sicknesses and diseases to be gone in Jesus' name and the next minute be criticising, bagging out and pulling people down. Out of the same spring, out of the same mouth can't come sweet and bitter water. God, clean up our confession. If you weren't here this morning, you need to hear the message, a culture of honour. We want to host the presence of God. We've got to be so careful about what we say. See, Jesus said in Matthew 22, many are called, but few are chosen. To be called is to be invited. To be chosen requires your surrender. And many people unchoose themselves from the invitation from heaven because they are not willing to surrender everything and pay a price to be a vessel of honour. That's what it means to be set apart. It's not just that you're a goody two-shoes Christian. It's you are set apart to God. I'm yours, God. I belong to you. I believe that God is calling every single one of us to the wall of prayer in this hour. We cannot, we must not become a centre for teaching and mobilisation for mission alone. We are to be an epicentre of prayer that then is our mission. One must come before the other. One must go with the other. One always leads to the other. And many churches are built around teaching, entertainment and mobilisation. We are called to be a hope church, a house of prayer for everyone. And I really feel the burden of the Lord on this because it's in His heart and it's in my spirit. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. We open our church four days a week, Tuesday to Friday for four hours of upper room prayer every day, 10am to 2pm. I am calling you, some of you could give an hour, you could give two hours, some of you could give four hours once a week. Others of you could come in multiple days. I have a vision, the Lord has shown us and has shown me a vision one day that as we redevelop this property and we put a prayer chapel on top, a beautiful glass prayer chapel in, in, a, in a rooftop garden, a garden of Gethsemane where people from all over the world can come and seek God in prayer on a rooftop overlooking the city. I have a vision and a picture of, of you know, eight, 10 hours a day of prayer and intercession and then a 24-7 prayer roster that people are on all the time. And David's tabernacle being restored in this house of 24-7 prayer. Do you, do you know what that would do to the city of Melbourne? So why would we wait until then? Let's steward the upper room we've got up there right now. Am I right or am I right, Pastor Aaron? Let's steward that room right now. And let's not just have one or two or five or 10. After the Holy Spirit poured out in Super Bowl Sunday, we had 50, 60, 70, nine weeks now. There's one, two, three, four, five, 10. No, 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 come on, guys. We're called to the wall. Seriously. Say, well, I didn't know. Well, now you know. You might not have a university class at that time. Well, on that day for that two hours, I'm coming. I'm I'm called to the wall. And I'm going to seek your face in prayer. You say, I've got a day off that day. Come, give an hour. Some of you, maybe your whole work situation's changed. You're waiting for your miracle. Come to the wall and believe for your miracle. We have a 24-7 prayer roster. The pastor Aaron oversees online. Wouldn't it be awesome if every week, Until Jesus returns every week, we have every hour covered off by someone. The prayer roster. What is it? It's called to the wall. Every one of us can turn up to prayer power monthly. Pick one day per week with your life group and say, on this day each week, we're going to pray and fast a lunch meal and we're going to pray on our lunch hour. 
And then we're going to meet together at night. We're going to stuff our faces with amazing food and we're going to fellowship and celebrate. And then we're going to pray some more. What am I talking about? Call to the wall. Call to the wall. God is calling us to the wall. How many times do you have to hear it before you respond to it? Seriously, I love you. I love you as a father loves a son but, and, and a daughter. But you've, you've got to hear the voice of the Spirit. It's not like he's going to get off topic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've done with that. They didn't do that. Didn't listen to that. Uh, I'm going to get off topic. No, this is the topic right now. Yeah. This is the topic. Yeah. And once this gets established as a culture in your life and a culture in the church, maybe then we can build upon it. But until we are faithful with intimacy, why should He entrust to us anymore? You want to buy a house? You want a dream house? Well, are you stewarding the apartment you're in? I say to our kids, clean your room. This is your empire. This is your kingdom. Take ownership of it. Take responsibility for it. Steward it. Christians want it all. They don't want to steward the one hour of prayer in the upper room a week. Serious. People say, I want to move in prophecy. I'll close in a minute, but I know the Spirit of God is speaking. I want to, I want to move in prophecy. I want to be like this person, that person. I want specific details. But are you obeying the last thing God told you to do to get up every morning and open your Bible and pray and seek Him? And we just have the band come up. God, I want to preach. I want a platform to preach. Are you prepared to find an empty room somewhere to write notes in the late night hours and early morning crying out to God, give me a voice to this generation. Give me a word. Yeah? Turn up to your parents' church on a Friday for 18 months and preach to an empty auditorium. And then we'll see whether you get a platform. My mum and dad used to sit at the front, write notes and critique and say, that's heresy, you can't say that. No, they didn't say that. And then even when they weren't there, I'd show up and preach to an empty. The best services I've ever had in my life was in that empty auditorium. I see that hand, I see that hand. Words are not most powerful miracles took place in that empty auditorium. But I did it because I was hungry. I did it because I knew there was going to come a day, there was going to be a demand put on that anointing. And I said, I'm not waiting. Some of you are waiting for your big shot opportunity. I want to be a worship leader. Get in the backing choir. Go and do singing lessons. Get on your face and seek God and say, give me an anointing to lead people into your throne room. Come on, somebody. Why don't you stand to your feet? It's a call to the wall. It's a call to the wall. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. Please visit our website, numa.church, and follow us on our social media platforms.